If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson. Today, I'm sitting down with Cole Nesbomer Naflik, founder and CEO of Storytelling with Data and author of best-selling books, Storytelling with Data, Let's Practice, and Storytelling with Data, a Data Visualization Guide for Business Professionals, which I recently read and loved, and I'm so happy to be able to pick your brain today, Cole. So I really appreciate you speaking with me today. Absolutely. I love hearing that. It's fun (laughs) to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Good. Yeah. Well, I think it can go in a couple different directions and we'll make sure that we keep it pragmatic and uh, actionable. And uh, yeah, there's lots to dig into, but maybe we can start with you giving a little bit about your background and your experience before we get into the details. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do the high-level overview and we can dive into any of it further if you'd like to. But I started out in banking and credit risk management, spent some time in HR and in private equity. And for me, the really interesting space, so scholastically, my background is mathematics and business. And I like when all of that comes together. And for me, what that's meant historically is when you're using data, you're using numbers, you're turning that into information that someone can subsequently do something with in a business setting. And so I found data visualization, which started out just making graphs as early way to help people understand things better. And over time, picked up through a lot of trial and error early on what works and what works better and ended up in a position when I was working at Google on the people analytics team, where I was asked to build some training on this. And so started to really get into the science of why some things work and why they work better and figure out how can I teach other people how to harness this power of a graph done well. Mm-hmm. So I started storytelling with data more than 10 years ago now, left Google to follow this passion project, which early on was me. And it's grown over time into a small and mighty team of individuals where we spend most of our time going into organizations, spending half a day or a day with a group, really diving into how they communicate with data currently, and then what sort of strategies we can help them with that will help them be even more effective in these endeavors. And one of the things that's been super interesting to me is over time, you know, we've put so much focus on the visual, right? And how do you make a graph that makes sense, not only to yourself, but more importantly, to somebody else who's looking at that graph? How do you highlight the takeaway and make the, the next step or the action clear, mm-hmm. right? But you can get the perfect graph and still that's only one part of the puzzle. The person communicating plays such an important role. So I've been more recently fascinated with that aspect of things and creating more content, uh, including the new book that gets more into that piece. Yeah. And I I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I want to think about storytelling in general. When we're thinking about data, 
we often think that data speaks for itself or, you know, these are maybe misperceptions or, or just ways of approaching it, right? The data needs no explanation. It's all right away given to you. And yet, I mean, as you know, obviously, there's a really strong need for storytelling. And so Absolutely. can you say, yeah, how, why is storytelling so essential to this? Well, I, I like the you know the phrase that you brought up that the data should speak for itself. I'll sometimes joke that well, yeah, but it, it runs the risk of saying something different to everyone who's looking at it unless you get into more of the storytelling realm. And for me, that takes a number of different forms. I think that the the very basic level, and I sometimes characterize this as storytelling with a lowercase s, right? Because it's not really story yet. But when you are communicating for explanatory purposes, meaning you have something you want to say to somebody else, something that they should know or something that they should do, the minimum you need to do is answer the question, what's the story? which really isn't story at all. Really, it's more like, what's the takeaway? So what? Right? Because when we can make that clear, it actually pivots the conversation in really interesting ways where the conversation becomes less about the data and more about what do we do now in light of this new understanding or in light of the data that has been shared. And I think when we don't go to that step, a lot of the ways that the a lot of bad directions that goes, or maybe bad's too strong of a word, um, not uh, useful directions is just this never ending quest for more data. And I think mm -hmm. when people are asking for that, right? No, let's do more data. Or let's make another graph or let's build another dashboard that oftentimes the need that isn't being met is really just answering that question of so what? Because when we can take it there and we shift that conversation to, well, what does this mean for how we do things, right? What does it mean for how we should make a decision or how we run the business or what levers we pull in different scenarios? Then that conversation has a lot of inputs, right? And data is one of those pieces, but it's not the only piece. And the data is never going to answer the question. It's always yep. the person or people who are interpreting that data and using it to try to answer questions. Uh, but I think it's a fun puzzle to try to uh, grapple with. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed, at least in coming up with training and curriculum for, for data professionals is, I guess, uneasy relationship with storytelling. I think it's very easy. People who go into data-driven fields, right? They're usually comfortable with math. They're comfortable with the programs that they're using. But then you tell them to tell a story and suddenly you see them clam up or, you know, it's just a totally different, they feel out of their element. And it's very hard to get people into that element who are not inherently or don't feel like they're inherently storytellers. So I wonder how you might approach that or get people to start thinking more openly about storytelling, especially if they think that they're not storytellers. Yeah, this is a really good question and a common challenge as you describe, right? I would put myself in that camp. Like I opted into a quantitative field of study so that I could be behind my laptop by myself uh, you know, as an introvert. And so I think the first thing I'll say is, especially for those listening who think their story feels uncomfortable of like, no, I don't want to communicate. I want to throw the thing that I create over the wall and let someone else deal with the rest. Mm -hmm. Just caution there because it's really in that communication piece is where things either succeed or fail, irrespective of all the hard work that happened up until that point. And so, you know, there's been a ton of focus in recent years on data scientists and really having people beef up the technical skills, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Unless we can also 
communicate all of the great work that's being done, we run the risk of it all being for naught or it being ignored or misinterpreted or confused in some manner. So I'd say, especially for folks where the communication piece or the storytelling piece feels uncomfortable, probably you need it most and Mm -hmm. then have an opportunity to benefit potentially the most by thinking about it. And I, so storytelling has been thrown around as one of these buzzwords, which I love from the fact of it means more people are thinking about it, but I don't love because it dilutes what it is and what it means. And then you get people misusing it, which uh, can be hard. The basic level, when I think about bringing story into business and into business communications is really thinking about, you know, one thing that is critical to story is tension. There is something that is out of balance or out of whack in some way. And when you step back and think about it, that's the case in any business communication worth having as well, right? There is something that somebody needs to pay attention to. And so when we can identify that thing and not frame it from our own points of view, right, which is the most natural way to communicate. It's really easy for me to communicate for myself, for my data, for my project, because I live in my head. I'm intimately familiar with everything that goes on there. So that is second nature. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we twist it around and say, well, what if I don't communicate first and foremost for me? What if first and foremost, I think about the people who are on the other end of that, right? My audience, whatever form yep. they might take, the stakeholders, the managers, the executives, and really think about what's the tension in the situation, not for me, but for them. Because if we can do that, then we automatically get their attention in the right ways. Uh, We can make the action really appeal to their motivating factors. And I think that for me is the biggest benefit we get from thinking about integrating story into how we communicate in a business setting, right? This does not mean you go into your next board meeting and you start off with once upon a time, right? This is not that. There's maybe a place for that, but that's going to be much more limited. But if we can think about the communications that we need to put forth based on data and really think of them of, well, but what if I were telling a story about this? What would the, what's the plot, right? What's the sense of place and time? What's the context that the people on the other end of it need to know in order to be in the right frame of mind to do something with what I'm going to give them? And now how do I make them care about it? What's at yep. stake for them that I can tap into? And how do I use that as a place from which to communicate? So I think when we don't do that, it's really easy to have this really linear view at what the communication progression looks like, right? Where we start off, it kind of follows the scientific process. Like, here's the question I had or that I set out to answer. Here's the data I gathered and everything I did to it. You know, here are the yeah, statistical yeah. methodologies I went into. Here were the issues I grappled with. Here are all the list of caveats you need to take into mind. Here are some findings. And now if we're lucky, we get to a recommendation of what comes next. When when we think of story and we think of tension, it pulls those end pieces that are probably the most important front and center and gets us to organize everything else around that. And that's where we can be really strategic in how we use components of storytelling when it comes to business communications and data communications and really anything that we want to get across to somebody else. Yeah, I'd love to break that down a little bit more into those elements, right? Like uh, in the book, you, you mentioned how 
we should obviously think about the audience, but what I liked about that is I think you say something like you can't just say stakeholders, which is ex- exactly what I would put if I were filling in a form of like, yeah. who's my story for stakeholders, but that doesn't really help us tell that story. So how do we, yeah. let's start with audience as an element. How do we do a better job thinking about that as data professionals? So we get as specific as we can, which means pushing beyond any audience description that is like stakeholders, or you know, oftentimes we'll want to communicate to anybody who might care, which is yeah. not the way to go about doing this. And so we teach a concept in a lot of our workshops. Actually, there's a whole chapter focused on audience in the new book that's coming out, which we can talk more about as well. But the concept is the big idea. And so basically, this is a single sentence that conveys what's at stake, articulates that main message that you want to get across to your audience. And we have people work their way through a worksheet with it. And the first thing you consider is audience. And so it's like, first, who are all the audiences who might care? Because it's kind of cathartic to get all of that out. But then now in light of all those audiences who might care at some point in time or for some aspect of this thing, who cares right now? Who's the person or who are the group of people you need to communicate to at this point in time? Because when you think about it, oftentimes many of the audiences, and particularly when we're finding, you know, it's big, varied, mixed audiences that we think we need to communicate to, a lot of them are downstream. But yeah, at some point, if things align a certain way, we might need to communicate to them. But, you know, tomorrow here, here's who needs to know because here's the decision at hand or here's the thing that needs to happen next. So we can think about narrowing to now, right? The point in time at which we're at, narrowing to the decision makers, if it's a case where that makes sense. But anything you can do to get more specific about who that audience is, it means you can really appeal to them, right? What motivates them? What keeps them up at night? And then frame how they want to be communicated to, which is a really powerful thing to be able to do. It doesn't mean you're not also communicating to other people, but it means you're doing so with that main audience first and foremost in your mind when you do everything that you do. There's actually a ton of aspects of the communications that we can tailor to an audience. Then you want to think about, well, as the stakes are higher, I probably want to do more than that. Or if the stakes are low, then don't worry about it and figure out how do you concentrate your efforts given all of that. Yeah. What are the other elements that you would ask people to consider? I mean, what are what are some of the key elements in addition to audience? Audience, I think audience comes first because they once you know who they are or can make assumptions about them, that actually helps make some of the other decisions easier to make. I think for me, message is what comes next. And if, if they leave the room or they close the document, what's that thing that I need them to know and remember or maybe even be able to communicate and repeat to somebody else? It's getting really clear and concise on that message. So when we can do that, then it means we can be really thoughtful in how we plan our content that's going to support that message and help it come across, right? Whether it's data or other content. I think those for me are the foundational pieces that when we're teaching this, or in the books, I often talk about it in a low-tech manner. So when you're doing these pieces, you, your tools are sticky notes and yeah. paper and pen, because there's something about that process of committing pen to paper that makes you think about it, that we lose to a large extent. And sometimes altogether, I think when we go straight from uh, you know analyzing the data to our tools, 
everything. So I'm a big proponent of taking some time up front. It doesn't have to be a ton of time, but just with some low tech planning uh, when you are at the point of needing to communicate, because that can just help you make the rest of the process more efficient, make sure that you're on track for what needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, and you, you had a few great pointers about audience, right? What keeps them up at night? What are they trying to decide upon? That can really help you gear your message. What about the message itself? Because I'm just thinking some people might be very happy to say, well, there's a correlation here and that's their message, right? Or sales have gone up or sales have gone down, which you know may very well be true, but I don't think that's necessarily a good message for a story. So how do you start to think about it in that way? It's not enough yet, right? It's like the you maybe get the pieces there. And so part of it is going that next step of, and there's an exercise you can do where you just talk with somebody else who's less familiar about it and have them ask questions. Because oftentimes it's the simple questions of why, you know, so what, how, what does this mean that prompts us to go to that next level, both as we're thinking through things, but then even more importantly, as we're articulating logic to be able to communicate to someone else. So I would say that's one really practical tip that if you know, if you're getting ready to communicate something, you're trying to figure out how might I use story or am I vocalizing things or summarizing things in a way that's going to be compelling for my audience is get with a colleague or a friend or family member, and they don't even have to know the project. And actually it's mm-hmm. easier and maybe better in some ways if they don't because of the kinds of questions they'll ask you. And that can be really insightful and in pulling you out of your own head and your own tacit knowledge about the situation and really help reframe things of, well, what's this going to look and sound like from somebody else's perspective? And mm-hmm. then you can figure out how do you then tenor that in ways that are needed so that it meets the needs of your audience. Yeah. And as you're working on that process in general, are there tips that you've found that maybe apply to a lot of people who are uh, trying to improve their storytelling? So I'm just thinking, for example, of the, you may spend a lot of your time cleaning data. You probably do, like most data analysts will clean data for the majority of the time. You may write a really cool Python script, but probably your stakeholders don't care about those things, right? Even though they're the, they're the majority of your time spent it doesn't, it shouldn't necessarily feature into your story. So what what are things that people should be like taking out or re- reconsidering when they're thinking through this lens? Yeah, great question. And you know, the I don't want to in any way discredit the that work that happens behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Because it's like that cool Python script or you know, whatever the case may be, is what allowed you to do the foundational work that yeah. gets you to the point of being able to communicate. And so at that point, then it's really about how do we get it across the the, the end line there. And so time is one thing that is necessary for this. And it doesn't have to be a great deal of time, but to your point point, we can spend a ton of time cleaning the data and analyzing the data and then finding ourselves up against a deadline. And now suddenly we have no time left to really be thoughtful in how we communicate it. And so we maybe throw it into a graph and we're done. But that graph is maybe the only part of the whole process that anybody sees. So you know, one argument would be it deserves at least as much time and attention as all of the cool technical stuff that you're spending your time doing so that that technical stuff or the output of it gets the attention that it needs. And so here, 
low tech uh, for me is still the way to go, which is once you've identified your audience, you have a good understanding of what you need to communicate to them, what action you want them to take. Then it's a matter of now with those things in mind, how do I pull together the right combination of things that's going to work to meet my needs, that's going to work to meet my audience's needs. And really my favorite tool when it comes to this are little sticky notes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm holding sub up now. Chris can see them. Nobody else can, but you can imagine, right? Your little like one or like two by two inch sticky notes, because then you can do this process of brainstorming. Like, okay, that's my message. What could I potentially throw into this that might be relevant? And you can let that go for, you know, 10 minutes or so without where you're just writing down ideas. You know, these are things that might support me in some way or support my message or get my data across and then can step back and say, all right, what I could include. And by the way, had we gone straight to PowerPoint or one of those tools, we might've made a slide for every single idea that we just wrote down. But the benefit of doing it in this way where you can see everything, you've not committed a bunch of time to creating things in your computer, a certain form of attachment to it is now you can look at the world of what could be included and think really critically, okay, now for this time, given this audience and this message and what I anticipate, you know, what are their biases are coming in with, or what am I going to need to address proactively and what might be better left out or pushed to an appendix or not front and center. And you can start curating that content in ways that help you create this plan of attack that you can then vet. You might be able to vet it with a stakeholder or a manager to say, now this is rough, but here's what I'm thinking. Is this the right direction or do we need to change things? And then you can get that important directional feedback without having invested a ton of time creating content and doing other things that kind of slows down the process. So seeing the ideas out there, right? It doesn't have to be sticky notes, anything that allows you to quickly iterate and put ideas out there and then let go of those ideas, I think is a helpful process. And then talking through it with someone else, if you're feeling stuck, can help extricate. Yeah. No, and that's that's huge. Not having made the slide so that it doesn't feel like you're killing your darlings, right? Exactly. Uh, getting rid yeah. of stuff that you've worked hard on. Nobody cares so much about getting rid of a sticky note. So yeah, right. I think that's, yeah, those are great tips. How can an organization work to improve this? Because uh, so far we've talked kind of about the the data analyst per se. And so they can obviously, everyone can read your book, can learn more about this topic, but in a big picture way, how can organizations help data storytelling what can what can organizations do at different levels I think recognizing at you know whether it's at a managerial level or a leadership level that this is a specialized skill set right being able not only to do fancy things with data, to understand the data, but then also being able to subsequently communicate that in a way that's going to help people understand and drive smarter decisions and better actions. That So one is just recognizing that that is not a common skill set. And so it's one that needs to be invested in, and that can take a variety of forms. If you have people on your team who have some natural proclivity here or have come in with this magic mix of skills and specialties, lean into that, right? Let them teach others or make them resources on your team that others can go to. But I think recognizing that it takes time and some 
foundational knowledge to be able to do some of these things. And that you can get, you know, as you mentioned, through reading a book or taking a course or doing a workshop, we have a lot of resources for those who maybe haven't thought about this side of things before and want to learn more. I encourage folks to check out storytellingwithdata.com. And we have an online community as well, where if anyone's wanting to focus in their own skill development and practice in a low risk way, because really that's what a lot of this takes is practicing and trying things and really learning from each time what works, right? What works in the context of where I work, culturally, organizationally, where am I going to be able to try some of these things? Where might I be met with more resistance or try things in low risk, less likely to be resistant places first? Find an advocate, whether it's your manager or someone else at the organization who believes in investing time and in this skill set and align yourself in ways I think that will allow for that. Sorry, you went organizational and back to the individual level again. There has to be some sort of acknowledgement and buy-in at more senior levels of an organization if there's any sort of cultural shift uh, that needs to happen here. But a lot of it is, you know, there's a process that any team who's working with data goes through as they sort of climb up the the value chain there yeah. uh, that can be painful at points. But yeah, figuring out how to find the resources you need in others in your organization and building bridges across, you know, if there are siloed sort of places that make, make that difficult organizationally and trying to navigate some of that. Yeah. And again, for people who are very comfortable with the the technology aspect and maybe not so comfortable with the, the storytelling or the communication, how would you describe sort of the value add? Because I, I think it's like, let's say you have a professional development budget as an individual and you're thinking, well, I need to brush up my skills with JavaScript or I need to do whatever it is on the technology side. And that seems to be an easier, like an obvious example of something somebody working technologically can fix or improve their technology, right? It doesn't necessarily follow that, you know, I'm an engineer or I'm an analyst. I want to take a storytelling course or I want to take a design course. How do you talk about the value add? Yeah, I mean, this can take a ton of different forms, but I think one way to think about it, and particularly if, you know, if storytelling feels too far out there, then take it stepwise, right? Of how can you take your current foundation of skills and up-level those? And so for someone who's been more technically inclined, has been investing in those skills, the next level might be, right? You may not be going full bore storytelling yet. And then you might actually get sort of organ rejection from yourself and those around you if you do try to go too big of a leap there. But I would say first off is figure out, are the visuals that you're working to communicate currently, are they working or are, is there more that you could do there, right? Because we've, we've skipped straight into storytelling without really talking about the visual communication of data because there are often some really practical things that you can do that don't take a ton of time, don't mean you know taking a full course to, to understand better. And for me, you can boil some of that down to you know, when you create a graph or a slide, does somebody else looking at that know where to look and what to see? And so a couple of simple pieces of advice related to those two things. So one is to be strategic in how you use color 
in your visual communications. And so color used sparingly is one of your most powerful tools for really getting people to pay attention where you want them to pay it. And mm. so color used sparingly can do that quite well to make it very clear where to look. And then the second piece around that would be words, either in your spoken narrative or written on the page or a combination of those things that tell people why they're meant to look there. Right. Coming back to this, I talked about a story with a lowercase s earlier, answering that question of what's the story? So what? Right? That for me is the first step to take as you are trying to figure out, are my visuals working? Am I communicating effectively? Because those are sort of stepwise things that anyone can do and try out in different places. That's not going to feel uncomfortable. And you can hopefully start to see where and how that can work and how you can continue to sort of flex those skills and then get further into whether it's the visual design of your communication or now focusing on you and your role in presenting the information and mm -hmm. figure out then where you want to invest more time from there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Starting on a smaller scale with, with visualization, you already mentioned color. So maybe avoiding your giant rainbow scheme and focusing in on some things avoiding maybe a title that is ambiguous or very general to to kind of say what you want somebody to get from it. What are some other things that you might be able to add to add elements of storytelling, even if you're not going, like you said, full-blown storyteller? Yeah. Another practical thing can be when you show a graph, form a sentence about that graph, right? Put the takeaway or potential takeaways into words. And there's a neat process that can happen there, which is, you know, the graph you start with can be rough. You're just using it to figure out what do I want to say with this data? But then once you've taken the time to form a sentence about it, now you can use that sentence oftentimes to improve the graph. It may help highlight clutter that's present that doesn't need to be there or is distracting from your message or may help you figure out or going back to this idea of sparing use of color. And it's not just color, sparing contrast uh, in a number of means uh, will draw attention. So you can figure out where do you want that to be? And then how do you use words and the graphs together to really get your point across? And that process of iterating so that your words improve your visuals and your visuals improve your words can be helpful for getting there. And so then it's, yeah, what, what annotation now do you actually need to have on the graph to help that make sense? Or how do you bring in other context and connect different views, right? Because then we start thinking about, okay, now what if I step out of the context of this specific graph? How does it fit in with everything around it? And transitioning from one idea to the next, now we're starting to get into more where, hey, there might be a storyline here. You know, where's the tension? Where do I put it in the storyline now? Do I lead with it so that it's upfront and it's on everybody's mind as we start getting into the details? Or do I want to build up to it because there's important context or assumptions that I need to let people know about on the way. And so mm -hmm. it's not an all or nothing sort of thing. It's you can be weaving in more and more components of story as you go and figuring out what makes sense given the specific scenario. And I think when I think of the books and our workshops and all of our other things, that that's the meta lesson that we teach is don't just do everything the way you've always done it because you've always done it that way. Think yeah. critically about this time, right? This scenario in light of who my audience is and what message I need to get across and what data I have at my disposal and how I can visualize it, and the tools and the time constraints and all of those things. How do I make the puzzle work to the best of my ability this time? 
And the more important, I think I mentioned something along these lines earlier, but the more important the stakes are, the more time you want to spend thinking about and planning these sorts of things so that you can really line yourself up to be successful, whether it's your visual communication or your verbal communication or all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and there's clearly a need for this. I mean, that's why people have gravitated towards your your work and your books. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about the problems or the, the yeah the market problems or the issues that you saw that made you realize this kind of material is needed. What, like, what are the issues and how do you approach those to help solve them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it really... I became aware of the need for it as I was teaching workshops originally at Google. And then when I left Google at different organizations uh, around the world, realizing that there are straightforward things that pretty much anyone can do to communicate more effectively. And because we are all facing increasing amounts of data in our lives, in our work. And so as we can see our roles as the analyst or the communicator of the information to help derive value out of all of that for other people. How do we show somebody else a graph that makes sense and help Mm -hmm. them understand where to look and what to see? How do we take it beyond the graph and weave things in the stories that are going to get people's attention and build our credibility and motivate them to act? I think really at the basis, the problem I'm trying to solve for is there is so much fantastic work happening but a lot of it's behind the scenes. And unless we can communicate all of that fantastic work effectively, we run the risk of spinning and not really getting anywhere. And I don't want that to be the case. I figure if there are things that I can learn, a lot of it's been through trial and error. That was the case with how do you visualize data to communicate? That certainly has been the case for how do you then verbalize that, right? How do you get people, how do you talk in a way that gets people want to listen and engage and act? You know, if I can help speed up that process through all of the trial and error I've been through, uh, speed it up for someone else, that's really, for me, the motivating factor. And that's where the books have really come from, because that means I can get the word out there to more people. And so I would just say, because we've mentioned it a couple of times, for those who are interested in improving their visual communications, certainly storytelling with data is the place to look and read. And you'll see a ton of examples there. And then let's practice the follow-up is really more exercise-based. And there's a ton of more examples and content there. And I'm excited for Storytelling With You, my third book that will be available in September. It's available for pre-order now. And that's really more focused on the planning pieces that we talked about. It's a chapter devoted to audience, another one on message. There's a whole chapter devoted to storyboarding. That's that low-tech process of brainstorming and then curating the ideas that we touched on. It's also a chapter devoted to story and how do you think about story and how do you think about integrating that and how you communicate in a business setting. There's a whole section on creating, right? So creating slides of data or words or images or all of the above. And then there's a section on you, right? The role that we play as individuals when we're the one talking through the information and how do we build our confidence? How do we, as I mentioned, speak in a way that makes other people want to listen? And how do we drive change through the data we analyze, through the projects we undertake, through our day to day? And again, I really think that as people get comfortable talking about this and talking to others about it, we just, we raise the level of everyone in ways that's really awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about too, it, it strikes me that storytelling as a human endeavor is thousands of years old, right? It's not a new thing. And yet it feels very new in this space. I'm not sure, yeah, if there is a definitive change, like as you said earlier, we are getting more data. I think that's, you know, not a controversial argument, but has storytelling changed or have you seen the ways that we tell stories change beyond the obvious technology? Are there things that we need to consider or is this, you know, getting back to like Homer was telling stories, we're telling stories. How does that, how does that work in today's context? I really think it's the latter. I don't think anything has fundamentally changed about how we tell stories, right? We are we're storytelling creatures by nature and bringing that into a business setting. It's a different spin on it, but it's not new. Right? And I think there are things that we can learn from the ways we have told stories throughout time that we can apply to how we communicate in business setting, that we can apply to how we communicate in general, that is just maybe a different twist on things that hasn't been explored thoroughly in that way before. But I think we can take a lot of inspiration from the history of storytelling that we have as a culture and, and learn from that in ways that will help us relate to people, which is really what it's all about. And I get questions a lot of times about you know, artificial intelligence and how this is going to change the way we analyze data because you know mm-hmm. brains will no longer play a role, which I maybe I'm naive, but I, I fundamentally disagree with that because coming back to the communication piece, right? Where all of that work succeeds or fails. And yes, AI will help us get more efficient at things probably over time, but there's still that person to person connection that has to happen to make the world work. Or I believe that there is reasonable people will disagree with me on some fronts related to that, I'm sure. But that's for me where story comes in and this idea of engaging. And we can do that by really thinking about each other as people, right? I'm not creating a deck that I throw over the wall to yeah. stakeholders on the other side of that who are going to do something <laughs> with it. Like I am talking to a person and we can engage in a conversation. And when we do that, we get better outcomes. We get to understand each other better. And yeah, I want more of that. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe you could say a little bit more personally, right? I think you said that you were an introvert and I know there are a lot of introverts working in this space. I think I'm yeah. I'm sort of one of them, but I'm also not as much as I've seen where people would be very happy to throw over their deck and never have to see reactions or never have to put it into the context of a story. And yet yeah. we're seeing more and more like you can't simply say, here's my graph, I'm done. So for those people who don't feel comfortable, what are some small steps that they can make to get more into that, to enter that space, right? Maybe they're not going to do a TED talk right away, but they sure. can, they can start, <laughs> they can start pushing themselves in ways that are, you know, tolerable for, for someone who's super introverted. Absolutely. I think a first step is look for opportunities to talk about your work with other people. And that could just be, you know, grab a colleague and have a conversation. It doesn't have to be crazy, intimidating. I have this term that I I use a lot for myself and with my team, productive discomfort, right? When you are a little bit uncomfortable, right? Not to the point where you shut down or get overwhelmed, but a little bit of discomfort means you're growing oftentimes. And so where we can find ways to be purposefully uncomfortable in productive ways, right? There's a mean or there's an end to the means. I think that can be really useful. And so I would say for the person who says, 
this all makes me super uncomfortable. Look for little ways to get more confident. And so start talking about your work, start talking about your work to other people. And then you will likely find that just the result of doing that means you will be able to now visualize your data better and put words around it better because of those conversations that you've had. And then those sorts of things can become self-reinforcing where you mm-hmm. get a little bit of confidence and then you can maybe gain some credibility. And so again, look for places where you can try things out or integrate conversations in a way that's going to make your work easier, in a way that's going to likely be met with reception, not resistance. Mm-hmm. And but you'll be smart about how you navigate. And when you think of, you know, the technical skills and the logic that goes into figuring out like, you know, where do you dig and how deep do you dig and how do you write the perfect code that's going to make it all work? Be that logical in how you communicate as well. And so, you know, that can mean setting goals, having really specific sort of milestones that you work towards. They don't have to be big and crazy, but push yourself in ways that will help you develop how you communicate, whether it's mm-hmm. written on the page or out loud to somebody else, because those skills are going to help you do better in whatever you do. If you don't end up talking to anybody else about the project, the talking about it with someone, it may spark a new idea that you didn't have previously or help you look at things in different ways, or as I mentioned, help you put better words around it on the page. Uh, So it's an easy thing that anyone can do. Yeah. I mean, that's great advice. And I think people just thinking about it from that perspective is good because I've heard from a lot of professionals that, you know, you can go through a whole computer science degree for four years and never effectively take a storytelling course or, or learn about techniques of storytelling. And that goes for a lot of disciplines where, you know, you just don't necessarily have this training like you do with economics, if you have an economic background or what have you. So just even opening up that possibility, I think you do you do a great job in the book and in what we've talked about to, to push people in that direction. So I wonder, last, uh, last bit of advice you might give, if somebody was inspired by this, and wants to start immediately. What are two things that they could do tomorrow to improve or to begin that journey of improvement when it comes to storytelling and data? Yeah. So rather than introduce anything new at this point, I'm going to use this to reinforce a couple of points that have already come up, right? So Mm -hmm. tomorrow, if you want to do two new things, I would say, take a look at the visual communication that you are creating and be thoughtful in how you use your color and your words there that I'm going to group those into one thing. The Mm -hmm. other thing would be Make sure you've got some time to focus on yourself and how you talk through the information that you need to communicate. Because I really believe that the more time we spend there, the better it all works. Mm -hmm. And those are things that you can kind of trim off as the low hanging fruit on the tree and practice a little, even if it's behind the scenes and nobody else sees it, that again, will help with your confidence potentially might help build credibility with others and think about your audience and the people on the receiving end of that. And how can you make what you need to happen work for them too? Because when we can do that, then everybody wins and it's a successful scenario all around. Yeah, no, it can be really transformative. And I've seen that in uh, a number of places where, yeah, it's just a a total game changer when people can tell good stories with their data. For people who want to know more or to, to follow you, where do you suggest they look? 
Yeah. So all of the resources that I've mentioned today can be found on our site at storytellingwithdata.com. We have an active LinkedIn page where we post tips daily with videos on our YouTube channel. You'll find all of that on the site. There's the online community I mentioned before, the books, all that good stuff. However you want to learn, we've got a way for it. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It was wonderful speaking to you after after reading your work. And um, I know, well, I look forward to your next one. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it.